0: Hello and welcome to a very special Remembrance Day episode of Right in the Schoolies. I'm your host Mr James and today we're going to be hearing some readings of poetry, letters and some general musings on the First World War. You just heard the last post kindly donated by the Household Division and I credit them in the show notes. Now I remember my first ever experience of reading about world war one because as a child it really doesn't mean anything at all you just see these very old pictures and of course as the pictures get older and now the children are younger they can't really conceive of what exactly is going on in them that's why things like peter jackson's they shall not grow old are amazing because of how they take that jerky old footage and make it into something far more relatable But it says a lot about us as human beings that we like to distance ourselves very quickly from things that we can't fully understand or fully comprehend. Rather than talk about the outbreak of war, I'm instead going to start off our poetry readings with a poem by Philip Larkin. Yes, you guessed it. It's 1914. Those long, uneven lines, standing as patiently as if they were stretched outside the Oval or Villa Park. The crowns of hats, the sun on moustached, archaic faces, grinning as if it were all an August bank holiday lark. And the shut shops, the bleached, established names on the sun blinds, the farthings and sovereigns and dark-clothed children at play, called after kings and queens, the tin advertisements for cocoa and Twist, and the pubs wide open all day. And the countryside not caring the place names all hazed over with flowering grasses and fields shadowing doomsday lines under wheat's restless silence. The differently dressed servants with tiny rooms in huge houses, the dust behind limousines. Never such innocence, never before or since, as changed itself to past without a word. The men, leaving the gardens tidy. The thousands of marriages lasting a little while longer. Never such innocence again. This book is not about heroes. English poetry is not yet fit to speak of them. Nor is it about deeds, or lands, nor anything about glory, honor, might, majesty, dominion, or power, except war. Above all, I am not concerned with poetry. My subject is war, and the pity of war. The poetry is in the pity. these words written in the preface, of the collected poems of Wilfred Owen. Arguably my favourite of the war poets. And it's very hard not to like him the most because of his whole story being itself almost like a war poem. The tiny, and he was tiny, even in comparison to me, I'm, a, I'm only brushing about 59 myself. He was a tiny, wiry little thing, quite soft, quite sensitive, obviously. Really wasn't sure if he wanted to go and sign up in the first place, and yet, arguably one of the fiercest fighters out there. A great shot, loved by his men when he was a second lieutenant, and somebody who, even though he had the golden ticket out of the war, and was sent to Craig Lockhart to convalesce, he said that his men needed him. And he went back. His dear old mum, whom he wrote to daily, had to answer the door as the bells were ringing in Shrewsbury to tell the end of the war that her son had been killed in action. Anthem for Doomed Youth What passing bells for these who die as cattle? Only the monstrous anger of the guns. Only the stuttering rifles' rapid rattle can patter out the hasty orisons. No mockeries now for them, no prayers, nor bells, nor any voice of mourning, save the choirs, the shrill, demented choirs of wailing shells, and bugles calling for them from sad shires. What candles may be held to speed them all? Not in the hands of boys, but in their eyes, Shall shine the holy glimmers of goodbyes, The pallor of girls' brows shall be their pall. Their flowers, the tenderness of patient minds, And each slow dusk a drawing down of blinds. This next poem by Wilfred Owen is probably his most famous. And he originally wrote this with the title To Jesse Pope, etc. I think that this poem might well be the one that first turned my head to war poetry at all. I remember doing this in year nine, which is coincidentally when I tend to do war poetry and when I've always sought it. And something about this poem is just so visceral so magnificently horrid that it captures you and just will not let you go. The foam is, of course, dulce et decorum, est. Bent double like old beggars under sacks, knock-kneed, coughing like hags we cursed through sludge, till on the haunting flares we turned our backs, and towards our distant rest began to trudge. Men marched asleep. Many had lost their boots, but limped on, blood shod, all went lame, all blind, drunk with fatigue, death, even to the hoots of tired, outstripped five nines that dropped behind. Gas, gas, quick, boys! An ecstasy of fumbling, fitting the clumsy helmets just in time. But someone still was yelling out and stumbling, and floundering like a man in fire or lime, Dim through the misty panes and thick green light as under a green sea. I saw him drowning in all my dreams before my helpless sight. He plunges at me, guttering, choking, drowning. If in some smothering dreams you too could pace behind the wagon that we flung him in. And watch the white eyes writhing in his face his hanging face like a devil's sick of sin if you could hear at every jolt the blood come gargling from the froth corrupted lungs obscene as cancer bitter as the cud of vile incurable sores on innocent tongues my friend you would not tell with such high zest to children ardent for some desperate glory the old lie Dulce et decorum est, pro patria mori. And to change the tone ever so slightly, from poignantly sad to poignantly peeved, I'm going to read a poem by Mad Jack himself, Siegfried Sassoon. Base details. If I were fierce and bold and short of breath, I'd live with scarlet majors at the base and speed glum heroes up the line to death. You'd see me with my puffy, petulant face, guzzling and gulping in the best hotel, reading the roll of honour. Poor young chap, I'd say, I used to know his father well. Yes, we've lost heavily in this last scrap. And when the war is done, and youth stone dead, I toddle safely home and die in bed. I think Mrs. Sassoon, wasn't alone in being underwhelmed at times by his superiors. And one of the other poems I'd love to have for you here is by the good doctor John McCrae. Very few people seem to remember, of course, that he wrote Flanders Fields almost in one take. And John McRae, of course, being a Canadian, I have decided to enlist the only Canadian that I know to read this poem for me. This is the wonderful Jacob Vull, who doesn't enjoy reading poetry, doesn't particularly like podcasts. But I've got some incriminating material on him, so he he better do it when he's finished Listening to Michael Buble and watching ice hockey or eating poutine, he found some time to record this poem for me. This is Flanders Fields by John McCrae. In Flanders Fields the poppies blow Between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place And in the sky the larks, still bravely singing, fly Scarce heard amid the guns below We are the dead Short days ago we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw the torch, be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields. Those of you that heard my interview earlier on this year with Tim Cocker of the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast and Virgin Radio, oh and BT Sport of course, may well remember that we spoke for a very long time about the war poets, a shared passion and a shared interest. Tim has a very special and very, very poignant letter and I'm not going to explain anymore, I'm going to let him do it for you. So this is Tim reading aloud a letter from the front.
1: Joe, thank you for inviting me to contribute to this. And the piece of writing that I'd really like to share is a diary entry which I read every single year around this time of remembrance. And I think it will be self-evident why in a moment when you hear it, it is incredibly powerful. But on a personal level, it really resonates because this was a diary entry written by a man who, like me, was a journalist and like me, lived with his family in South Manchester. In fact, where I'm sat right now is less than a mile from what was the home of Captain Charles Campbell May, a journalist and an aspiring poet as well, who served in the 22nd Battalion Manchester Regiment, 7th Division. He led B Company and he led them into battle on the morning of July the 1st, 1916, the first day of the Battle of the Somme, a bloody day's war which claimed the lives of many, including... Captain Charles May and the soldier who carried his body from the battlefield found on him a, a slender notebook in his pocket, which revealed not just Charles May's talent as a writer, but the thoughts of a man and the sheer stoicism of a man, considering what his fate may be and thinking about his loved ones back home. And two weeks prior to that first day's battle with the day, which claimed his life on the 17th of June, 1916 Charles May, when all of the armaments were were being positioned and clearly the battle was imminent, he wrote this letter addressed to his wife, Maud, and his baby daughter, Pauline. He wrote, I must not allow myself to dwell on the personal. There is no room for it here. Also, it is demoralising. But I do not want to die. Not that I mind for myself. If it be that I am to go, I am ready. But the thought that I may never see you or our darling baby again turns my bowels to water. My one consolation is the happiness that has been ours. Also, my conscience is clear that I have always tried to make life a joy for you. I know that if I go, you will not want, and that is something. But it is the thought that we may be cut off from each other which is so terrible, and that our babe may grow up without my knowing her and without her knowing me. It is difficult to face, and I know your life without me would be a dull blank. Yet you must never let it become wholly so, for you will be left with the greatest challenge in all the world, the upbringing of our baby. God bless that child. She is the hope of life to me. My darling, au revoir. It may well be that you only have to read these lines as ones of passing interest, On the other hand, they may well be my last message to you. If they are, know through all your life that I loved you and baby with all my heart and soul, that you two sweet things were just all the world to me. I pray God I may do my duty, for I know, whatever that may entail, you would not have it otherwise.
0: (sighs) I'm sure there aren't many dry eyes in the house after that one patron Catherine Cavanagh very, very kindly got in touch and asked if she could help in any way with a Remembrance Day episode. And thankfully, she's contributing a poem by Francis Ledwidge, one of the Irish war poets, and reading her email here, she says that this poem is deeply poignant and was written by Ledwidge shortly before his death in Belgium on the Western Front in July 1917. He was fixated by landscapes and birdsong, and back in Ireland, he's often called the poet of the blackbirds. Obviously, I felt it would be best if we heard this poem in Catherine's brilliant Irish accent. So, this is the poem Home by Francis Ledwidge. Home by Francis Ledwidge A burst of sudden wings at dawn, faint voices in a dreamy noon evenings of mist and murmurings and nights with rainbows of the moon. And through these things a woodway dim and waters dim and slow sheep seen on uphill paths that wind away through summer sounds and harvest green. This is a song a robin sang this morning on a broken tree. It was about the little fields that call across the world to me. And the final poem, I'm going to go back to Wilfred Owen. And I'm going to read one that I've discovered later on in my life and has always, always resonated with me. And I cannot put into words how much it affects me emotionally. I'll just read it. And then, of course, to play us out, I have the Household Division once again playing the haunting. Nimrod by Edward Elgar from his Enigma Variations. Futility. Move him into the sun. Gently, its touch awoke him once, at home whispering of fields unsown. Always it woke him, even in France. Until this morning, and this snow. If anything might rouse him now, the kind odd sun will know. Think how it wakes the seeds. Woke once the clays of a cold star. Our limbs so dear achieved, our sides full nerves still warm. Too hard to stir? Was it for this the clay grew tall? Oh, what made fatuous sunbeams toil to break Earth's sleep at all.